So, Berto, I have some emails that I thought we would read and answer on the podcast and see if anything of interest comes out of either one or both of our faces. What do you say, Umberto? That sounds like a fabulous notion. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. Who are you? My name, is um, my name is Umberto Castaña, and I make screensavers for Windows 95. My goal for the latter part of 2020 is to pronounce your name in 15 different ways in every episode. <laughs> That's a valiant goal. <laughs> so this first one is from Ramona from Ontario. She, she asks, is it wrong to go through someone's phone or check their browsing history? Does this violate their personal privacy? Umberto, what do you think? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, undubitably. Basically, like, I'm not saying that it is wrong to have, you know, concern that maybe someone's lying to you or whatever. Of course, if you if you feel bad, or if you feel like you can't trust someone, that's a problem, you should definitely address that. But in my opinion, the way to address that is directly to have a conversation with that person. And if you still have reason for doubt, maybe you should make a change. But like, Breaking into people's stuff and spying. I mean, unless this was like some sort of, you know, you fear someone's life is in danger and you're a cop and you know what you're doing or something like No. Right. Yeah. The answer is yes, it's wrong under most circumstances. Uh, you know, let's analyze what moral behavior is. What would you say is the difference between moral and immoral behavior, Roberto? Be, uh, in general? Or, yeah. or in this some Yeah. Um, I think uh, morality is clearly not a set in stone for all time thing. Uh, I mean, ideally it would be, but clearly it's not if we look at history. But what I do think is there are generally accepted uh, do's and don'ts in our society. You can look at what's law as a rough guideline. You know, it certainly will tell you things like, well, murder seems to be wrong. Theft seems to be wrong. But it, I think it extends beyond laws. There is a sort of an understood superset of things that you should do and should not do uh, as part of what we feel is moral. I, I think if what you're doing infringes on another person's freedom or rights or self-determination or, or worse, if it causes them pain and things like that, uh, you're probably heading in the wrong moral direction. Right. Moral behavior is purpose. Immoral behavior is purposely harming other people. It's just that simple. Immoral behavior is harm, and moral behavior is the non-harming, purposefully harming other people. Makes sense. And harm, in this instance, if you were to break into someone's phone and look through their messages or, without them knowing, check their browsing history, as Berto says, this is very hurtful. It's a betrayal. It's lying by omission. It's an invasion. It feels bad. Do unto others. Would you like people to hack into your phone and look at everything that you've been doing. Right. Uh, now, as Berto also says, there are exceptions. Like if a child is in trouble, for example, you might want to break into your child's phone or even your spouse's phone, potentially, if that's necessary for safety or something. Or if you just have an arrangement with your spouse that you don't really mind that the other person rifles yeah. through your phone. I mean, a lot of couples, they're they're just an open book like that. I, f I feel like me and my wife have a, an arrangement. We haven't really spoken uh, explicitly about that, but 
you know, there are times when I just hand her my phone and she just walks away with it because she, she has to get into something and, and I, you know, the phone's gone for an hour. She could, she could rifle through whatever she wants to. I don't, I don't care. Right. I don't, I don't think she does, but, but, um, but in that instance, it wouldn't be weird, I guess, if she rifled through some stuff. I mean, I guess it would be a little bit of a, a surprise to me, but I, I wouldn't mind, and I, I'm guessing she would think I wouldn't mind. Anyway, the point is, is well, that it, some couples have an arrangement. So, yeah, I think it's similar to like porn in a way, like the whole porn thing, where it's like, is it wrong to look at porn if you're in a relationship? Well, not in general, but you might have an agreement where you've agreed that you wouldn't look at porn or something, which may not be great, but if that's your agreement and then you violate that agreement. So similarly, if you have a, if you either haven't discussed it or you've explicitly discussed that there should be separation in those cases. Um, so I think it really comes down to that intention. Like you were alluding to, if the intention is, I know that I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing, but I'm trying to get information from this person. Now you might, you know, you were saying do harm in this case, it's weird because you might be in a situation where you're like, well, I'm not trying to harm them. It's just I think they're cheating on me or something. But it's harmful. Sure. But it's harmful to the other person. You know, if the yeah. other person found yeah. out or even if they yeah. didn't find out, it's an invasion right. of their privacy. It is harm. Yeah. You know, yeah, people can make excuses and they could say, yeah. well, the other person deserved it. But, you know, have a jury of your peers make that decision. <laughs> I'm guessing exactly. that most people would say, no, just because you suspect your partner is cheating on you, that doesn't justify yeah. that kind of invasion of privacy. Uh, they, uh, Ramona in Ontario says, how do you quell suspicion? Okay. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Berto, what do you think? So if you how don't, do you if, you, suspicion? if you don't break into their phone, how do you quell suspicion? Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's a tough one because if you're suspicious, there's suspicion is in my opinion, a symptom on top of other stuff. So I don't think you start with suspicion, you know, like it's like, Things have been happening, and now you've got suspicions. Uh, I feel that it's hard, but open communication, it's hard for open communication to steer you in a bad direction. So um, bring it up. Say, it, it bring it up in a, in a how it makes you feel. What is it, hap what's happening to you? So instead of like, I think you're lying to me. I think you're cheating on me, right? Uh, you could say, you know, I've been feeling uh, insecure lately, or I've been feeling a little afraid that uh, our relationship might be at risk because um, you you seem to avoid me after dinner, or every time I go to talk to you, you seem to be having a conversation on your phone, and then you like look away, and so I'm feeling a little afraid. I'm making stuff up, of course, but the idea is to put it in in a in frame it in a way of how is it affecting you, and then see if the person opens up. And then you got to gauge what happens. Like if the person opens up and says, oh, well, I, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm just, I'm playing a game and I was embarrassed that like I wasn't supposed to be playing a game, whatever, right? Um, but if they're very defensive and they're like, you shouldn't be blah, blah, you might start gauging like, is this, is this working out for you, right? And, and maybe it's not one conversation, but it's a series of conversations. Yeah. So to just uh, piggyback on a lot of the things Berto is saying here is it has to do with building trust and it takes time. It has to do with attachment security that you build over time through communication, through, um, I mean, how does anyone know 
if their spouse is cheating on them or not. How, how does anyone uh, quell suspicion? I suppose every partner in every relationship has moments of suspicion. How do you quell that? There's, uh, there's this notion out there for people who have the impulse to break into people's phones that somehow if I have eyes on the person all the time or I hire, hire a private eye, that that'll solve things. And as Berto was saying, the suspicion is a symptom. So, so let's say you have, you're just really suspicious that your spouse is cheating on you and you're worried about that all the time. Well, let's say that God comes down from heaven and says, um, I will personally have an angel watching your husband 24-7, and they will give you a report. And this angel can't lie by law, and you'll find mm-hmm. out. Well, is that going to fix your relationship? Probably not. The fact that you <laughs> are suspicious of your spouse is probably a symptom of the fact that you don't feel attachment security with that person, and you might not have ever felt attachment security throughout your life. So it takes time building trust, knowing your attachment wounds, and just accepting the fact that you'll never know because there isn't an angel from God. And even if you did break into someone's phone, you know, your spouse could have a different phone or they could delete all the messages or... They, you know, they could use some secret email account that they only use at work or something. I mean, there's just there's no yeah. way in the modern world really to know for sure that your spouse isn't at the very least having a emotional affair with someone. So the compulsion and the impulse to somehow investigate as a way of managing your feelings of insecurity is usually self-destructive uh, and or at the very least just doesn't work. The other thing is is to heal from past wounds. If you have a lifetime of attachment insecurity, then healing from your past wounds might help you in your current relationship. Just to get a little specific about this, you know, you are uh, in a relationship, things have been a little rocky over time, you're starting to suspect your, your partner, you, you really want to know if your partner is cheating on you, and you, you just, you know, you just really just don't know what to do. Well, where do you begin? Well, begin by taking an inventory of the relationship status in general. Is the relationship going well? Do you feel like your your partner loves you. You know the big thing here is go to couples therapy honestly and just start sifting through all the all the foundational reasons as to why there is attachment insecurity. Now, it's possible that your spouse actually is cheating on you just because you, you know, we're framing it as if you shouldn't invade someone's space that doesn't mean that your suspicion isn't justified. I mean, there's a lot of cheating going on in the world. So, you know, it wouldn't be unheard of that suspicion, you know, if, if there's smoke, there's fire kind of a thing. You know, it could be. But the the thing that I always tell clients, because this is my experience, is if cheating is happening, you'll eventually find out. And usually people that are worrying about infidelity, they're usually in a long-term relationship. So, Giving it another couple of years isn't necessarily the end of the world. And that's usually what I tell people. Because I've worked with clients who are obsessively worried about their partner cheating. You know, they, they've been cheated on. So they worry that their partner is going to do it again, which is normal. And they're really suffering day in and day out. And they come into session. And we talk about it. And I validate it. It's nothing 
strange about worrying about something that's happened in the past, particularly in that current relationship. But the cognitive choices to say like, well, the solution is I have to find out or I have to read her diary or even though she doesn't want me to, or I have to hire a private investigator or I have to buy a spy device to, you know, have a camera in her car or something. You know, these are uh, impulses that people have and um, it's not it's not usually the path to wellness, let's just say. And the you other could thing, also, the oh, last sorry, the last thing I'll say is that, and I, I kind of said this earlier, is that none of us know if our spouse isn't cheating on us. Like, right. like me and my wife, I would say have a pretty good relationship, and at no point does either one of us absolutely know that the other person isn't cheating. You know, sort of or has cheated. There's COVID just, helps, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's just no way to know in the normal sort of living, yeah. you know, outside of pandemic. And that's an anxiety that is just there. And how do you deal with that? Well, you build a bond. One, because the more bond you feel with your spouse, the less you are concerned about that. It just it, the worries just kind of go away. The other thing is, is the bigger bond, the better bond you have with your spouse, the less likely you're going to cheat. On, they're going to cheat on you because they don't want to risk that bond, and totally. they don't have any reason to go outside of your bond to see, get their needs met. So, so that's what I'll say about that. Now, the last, last thing I'll say is that cheating is awful and being cheated on is awful. And I, I know how much that can hurt and I know why people are concerned about it. It's not like it's weird to be concerned about it, but to just simply say, well, I'm just going to invade their privacy as a way of managing that usually is a, is short-sighted. Sorry for interrupting. That you, makes sense. No, no, that's fine. I just was going to promote my fail-safe method for finding out if someone's cheating on you. I have I offer online courses. It's called the STD method. Uh, the S stands for surveillance, the T for transmittable diseases, and the D for DNA. So first, you install cameras, microphones everywhere. You implant a chip while they're sleeping. Second, you check yourself every week for STDs. And third, when the baby is born, you check it for DNA. It, it, never, it never fails me. Eventually, cameras and electronics will be nano, and you could just put a camera on their genitals, and then you could just <laughs> see if anything's... All right, this next email is uh, from someone about crying men. They say, is it normal that some people never cry? My husband never cries, not even, not even when his parents died, not even when we separated. Never does he cry. <laughs> and I know that society tells boys to toughen up and not cry, but he never cries, Birdo, is it normal that men don't cry? Oh, you and I have gone down this road before. We've talked about this for sure. Uh, I don't think it's normal, quote unquote. I think it, it is unfortunately common. I totally agree. I was raised that way. And, and I mean, literally, like a lot of times you and I get in debates about, you know, nur- nature versus nurture and where, you know, like how much is society telling people how they should or shouldn't be. And I get that. But I'm talking about my dad literally saying to me, being angry at me, like, stop crying. Why are you crying? You got to stop crying right now. Like, you know, imbuing in my head, like crying is not a thing we do. Even though he's a psychiatrist. Even though he's a child psychiatrist, even. (laughs) It's crazy, dude. Now, I don't remember the context. Maybe in that context, the world was going to end if I kept crying or something. Who knows? But all I know is I have those memories. I have those memories of being like, 
And he's like, don't you cry. I'm like, um, so, and by the way, he never hit me. So it wasn't even like I was scared of him hitting me. It was just this mandate, like, you will not cry. Okay, so that's what I grew up with. So sure enough, in my mind, both implicitly and explicitly, uh, you don't cry as a guy. Like, that's, that's for little babies, for little girls. Yeah, and it's, it's massively societal, too. So to answer your question, yeah, it's normal that some people don't cry. It's not healthy. It is like very much not healthy. And people who are socialized this way and some uh, you know, non-men are socialized this way as well, it's uh, potentially a lifetime of reprogramming yourself, reprogramming essentially your autonomic responses. Because it's not like you can, for the most part, force yourself to cry or not cry. It's something that you... And, you know, you learn over time how to do. I remember the exact moment that I learned how to not cry. Mm-hmm. I was young and I would cry normally, like, you know, I was five, six, seven years old. I would cry normally. And I don't remember worrying about that that much. But as I went through grade school, I started noticing that it was wrong to cry and that respectable boys my age didn't they never cried in fact i had a best friend greg who was was just so tough and he he would frequently injure himself because you know you're always jumping off of trees and taking jumps off your bike and, and i only saw him cry once and we were riding a skateboard down this really long hill straight long hill both of us on the same skateboard and he was sitting in front of me and we started getting out of control so i bailed and i totally ripped (laughs) up my uh my leg but he uh and and we didn't realize that uh i don't know why but at the bottom of the hill it just goes into the woods so so there's nowhere to stop (laughs) you know so at so at, toward the bottom of the hill, we're you know we're moving fast. I mean, just imagine yeah. two young boys on a skateboard, just straight down the hill for it probably what would amount to like a couple blocks. Like you can get moving pretty fast. Anyway, he put his hands down to stop himself, and he ran over his own hand and like just <sighs> tore up the backside oh of of God. one of his hands. And it wasn't crying; it was like screaming. It was just this like, was a skateboard. Yeah. Oh. And uh, anyway, but beyond that, he never cried. Uh, One time he was on my back. My dad was uh, our soccer coach and we were doing, uh, we were doing wind sprints and uh, we were doing piggyback wind sprints. And so he was, (laughs) and since I was a lot bigger than he was, he was on my back and we were inside, we were in a basketball court and I tripped and his chin hit the, the court so hard that it split open to the bone on his chin and and he didn't cry and i I just remember thinking he was the coolest guy and so uh, in the sixth grade we were playing uh in pe we're playing like softball or something we had those big red balls you know those big red rubber balls tmi and and we used a bat to hit him so it was like it was kind of like kickball but with a bat Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense so um someone is at bat in front of me and they they hit the ball and it's a cl- so i i've played i grew up playing baseball and one of the classic skills you learn is when you hit the ball what do you do with the bat because bats are you throw it at the pitcher 
Right. Bats are weapons, right? So yeah. there's a technique when you, you know, you take a swing, you, you connect, there's a way of, of, of setting off running for, for space while dropping the bat. There's just this, okay. but you got to get it out of your way. So, it, so it's usually just kind of a little, it's a little bit of a toss, but, but very light toss to your side. Oh, yeah. What you definitely don't want to do is fling it Oof. away from you. You know, you don't hit the ball. <laughs> you don't hit the ball and just like fling it as hard as you can away from you because you're so excited you hit the ball because you don't know where that thing's going to land. You know what I mean? Right. So, so the guy in front of me who I remember, he was just like a spaz. He hits the ball and he flings it behind him. So oh, my God. So, so he doesn't fling it. You know, usually you, you would fling it down, you know, as you're running to the right, uh, as you're head, heading to first base. He flung it directly behind him, and I'm right behind, like, you know, 10 yards behind him. And I, the, I see the bat flying through the air, twirling, and it hit me in the knees, but it didn't hurt that bad. What it was, it was so shocking and scary in slow-mo to see this bat just flying mm. through the air towards me and I couldn't get out of the way hits me in the legs and I just start crying and, oh my I, gosh, yeah. and I'm, I'm in the sixth grade and I'm I'm embarrassed right because one <laughs> I, I play baseball and I consider myself to be a little jock so to be crying on the baseball field is 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 yeah. r- rough uh, two, I'm not just in front of my teammates or something like this. I'm in front of like all the girls. Oh no! Right? There's all the girls in in class, yeah. and I'm crying, and and I and I'm upset because I'm not hurt. I'm like, why am I crying? It doesn't even oh, hurt. No. It doesn't even hurt that bad. So I kind of, you know, skulk away, and some some girls follow me, and I'm like, I just want to be alone right now. I head to the top of this hill. And I'm sitting there, and there, there's there's three girls like consoling me, you know. Oh and, my god! <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is never happening again. That I can't. This is I cannot let this happen ever, ever again because I had no control over the crying. It just it just happened as an automatic response, and so I, from then on. Whenever I had that, you know, that feeling when you start to feel like you're going to tear up and cry. I would transfer it into anger. I would mutate yeah. it into anger, and I re- and I don't know. I don't know how I figured this out, but it worked, man. I probably did that over the next fifty times. I almost cried, and from that point forward, I never had another tear. Like I could be as sad and as you know, distraught and distressed and traumatized. And there were moments, you know, in high school when emotionally things weren't going well for me and i just had no tears because i i when i would feel the tears coming on i'd go i'd clench my fists and i'd make an angry face and i'd be like no then i enter into my 20s and i think something's wrong here like i haven't cried (laughs) in 10 years there's something that can't be healthy and so i set off to cry and ever so slowly when there would be moments when I thought I might cry, I, I would, I would actually try to push the tears out. If that makes any sense, and I yeah, really yeah. focus on the sadness feeling in my chest. And this took probably I don't know three or four years before I could actually have a full-on crying moment. And the first time I really remember 
going, wow, I fixed myself was I was watching Mulan, the, the cartoon, the Disney cartoon. Yeah. And that movie isn't even particularly a tearjerker. Sure. But because it was an Asian Disney cartoon and as an Asian American, it just felt so wonderful to have my people represented in the Disney world that even things that were just kind of like funny, I would cry. Did you cry during, <laughs> I'll make a man out of you? <laughs> Probably. I, I would cry when Eddie Murphy, the dragon would, was it Eddie Murphy? Wasn't yeah. he the dragon? Yeah. yeah it's funny because Eddie Murphy was also the donkey right. in, in Shrek. But anyway, I was crying throughout that movie. I remember thinking, I've been bawling 70% of this movie, which is just kind of weird, <laughs> right? And then from then that point forward, I feel like I have a pretty healthy uh, tear response to the point now where last night I'm watching World of Dance with my wife and just seeing wonderful dancers putting their heart <laughs> into it makes me want to cry, you know? Uh, so Yeah, a little too far the other direction. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I, I, think, I, I don't think it's bad in the least. I, I wish I cried more often. I wish I felt more comfortable to cry in front of other people, because I, I guess that's kind of my next hurdle or something. So, mm. so it's possible that the you, the listener who emailed in, that your husband never cries, that your husband learned when he was young that he needed to clamp down on his tears, and he's he succeeded, and he's never been able to turn that around. For people to turn that around, they have to become extremely enlightened, uh, which is not usually possible in our culture. He has to have support. He has to feel masculine. He has to have a role model. He has to value his emotions. He has to be in touch with his emotions. He has to feel comfortable around other people. So it that's a tall order to ask in our massively sexist society. And sexism meaning that it's oppressive gender-wise towards everyone, including men. I mean, dude, I went through a similar journey as you, except sort of I don't know, even more repressed, I guess, because, I mean, I mentioned what my dad would say to me, but essentially, I don't remember ever crying at school. Like, I'm sure it must have happened when I was really little. I don't remember the time. And, and it worse even because as I grew up, and I got hurt quite a bit, I don't remember even having to fight to suppress the crying and turn it into anger. It just didn't happen. And then what ended up happening is later on, like around 30 or something, uh, under the influence of alcohol and with underlying undealt with depression and a whole bunch of other stuff, oh, the tears did flow. Oh, I had a few where it was uncontrollable. I didn't even know what was happening to me. But, I mean, I knew I was crying, but but I I didn't know why I was like, like uncontrollable sobbing for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. Like, Yeah, that's just... what I've seen. I, that's what I've seen in the men that I've worked with. And I'm glad you went through that. I'm sorry that it hurt during the time, but, yeah. it, was, but it was cathartic in that way. And I, I've worked with men, clients, and they come to therapy and they've had this lifetime of this kind of emotional oppression and the first few times they cry, yeah, it's the way you describe it. It's it's not just crying. It like is coming from the depths where the Balrog lives, and <laughs> you know, thou shalt not yes. thou shalt not pass. And then finally, it yeah. it does pass, and yeah. it just comes out like 
an explosion of suffering and, and difficulty. So, uh, did you actually do you know one of the first times that I had one of these episodes? And actually, that one was I was sober, stone cold sober. It was when Tiger Lily, my cat, when I found out. Yeah, I was in L.A. and I got the call. You know, and I was like, "What?" And I, I went into a, yeah, I just like broke down. I was screaming, crying uncontrollably, and I didn't react that way when my grandma died, which was yeah. er- years earlier. Well, when your grandma died, she had been declining mentally for a long time. She was yeah. a lot. She was a lot older. Yeah, it was expected. T- Tiger Lily got run over by a car, and, yeah. and she was young and lived a while after that so uh that is heartbreaking you know and and just awful okay well let's take a deep breath and let's take a break when we get back let's talk about abusive gamer culture what do you say let's do it All right, Berto, we're back from the break. If you were the sort of person who was going to break into your wife's phone to check up on her because you worry that she's cheating on you and you're trying to convince her or I don't know who you're trying to convince, but you're trying to convince someone to become a patron of the podcast, what would you sound like? Oh, I'm trying to convince the the person that she's cheating with me on. Oh, okay, with, cheating with. Yeah, so you you're you're looking yeah. through her phone clandestinely. <laughs> oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Like, hello, you don't know me, but I guess now I know you. <laughs> I found your name and number in my wife's little text message stream, and I see all the dirty little things you say to each other. But guess what? I'm not even that pissed because if you become a patron of my <laughs> podcast, then you can show me that all of this was worth it. So what are you going to do? Be a dirty little schemer or a little dirty schemer patron? <laughs> <laughs> Someone should make like a supercut of all the different improv moments you've made yeah so uh, every time someone becomes a patron we get a email and it warms our hearts that you took the leap if you haven't done that yet uh, i encourage you to do it it doesn't you know it's not that costly per month and it is the wind beneath our wings both emotionally but also practically we can only dedicate the amount of time we do to this podcast because of your support if we didn't have your support we would have to, you know, have regular full-time day jobs. That all sorts of random jobs all over the place to try to support ourselves. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, patron Melinda from Europe. She hails from Europe. She says, "I don't know if you've heard about this, but in the gaming industry, the girls are coming forward with their experiences with sexual abuse and predatory behavior from other gamers." And I just want to ask you if you have any experience on this matter, because I'd like to hear your words on it. There are a lot of stories going around. I think it's a much bigger problem because a lot of men don't understand the basic issues. End of email. Birdo, uh, as a gamer and as someone who has w- worked in the gaming online industry, mm-hmm. what, are your th- what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, man, this is insidious. Um, there, there are levels, of course. So I think at the, at the upper level, there is just the fact that 
uh, the traditionally the games world has been a male-dominated industry. Males have made the majority of the games. They've made them with male themes and all these things. And hey, I've enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, but then there's also the industry itself, which is, again, traditionally been very male-dominated. Most males are the ones working in there and stuff like that. Now, I worked in this industry a long time ago. And uh, when I started, it was a an old boys club, for sure. Like... Uh, Everything from the events, like the morale events, the big conventions, uh, you know, all these things. And so I, I grew up basically seeing that all around me. And I was just as big a part of the problem, you know, like it, it was a boys club. And so we would crack inappropriate jokes all up, over the place um, and things like that. And no one knew that it was wrong, or at least no one my age knew it was wrong. It was just how it was. But then there's there. It's gotten even more insidious, I think, or maybe it was always there, but it's just like surfaced more. Because uh, you'll have all the folks like the like the four chan level of of insidiousness, where uh, there is the the men's rights angle, and then there's the uh, like the kind of language used to insult and harass people online that are like females playing, or even people who are not females but are like maybe being sympathetic to to female gamers. It is crazy. Um, it is it is very vindictive, very insidious, very insulting, um, and I think that it's not inviting. It's not inviting at all. Uh, the flip side is that I think that th- there are boys right now playing that are not bad people, right? So, like, how do we how do we get to those to the majority, the, like the vast majority of boys? And sort of short circuit, you know, them from becoming abusive in that sense. Uh, and by the way, it's abusive certainly to the female population, but dude, it's abusive also in general. Like they abuse each other. It's, it's, it's a level of harassment and vindictiveness, and it's terrible. This is why I stopped playing online because it's just uh, you can't have just like a normal multiplayer game or something without. Like the worst racist, just like horrible conversation. Uh, it's not a conversation. It's attacks constantly. I like. I, I love trash talking. I love trash talking. But like fun trash talking, you know? Like who taught you to shoot the ball, Kirk? My grandma? You know, like stuff like this. And I don't know. This, this stuff gets like crosses every single line. Yeah. So in case people don't know, the behavior that is happening online in these communities are extreme. It's not just even random racist comments through a headset as you're playing, uh, you know, Counter-Strike or something. It's literally threats of sexual assault. Yeah. Actual harassment, actual stalking grooming minors because a lot of young people obviously play online games Mm -hmm. and there are predators who are trying to uh, abuse and harm these young people extremely hateful sexist comments against women um, constant comments about women's bodies etc you know because if someone is playing uh, you know on twitch or something there's every 10th comment is like, oh, look, you know, show me your boobs or 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 some, you know, derogatory comment like, oh, you're fat or j- just whereas men, 
get almost none of that. You know, a, a male on Twitch could probably p- play for a couple of weeks and get no comments about his body. A woman on Twitch is where, if you don't know, it's where you play video games live and people watch you play video games and they often can see you, you know, sitting in the chair as you're playing video games. And anyway, so it, it can just be a constant problem and it's, it can actually result in physical sexual assault that actually happens in person. It's not just a bunch of comments and, and that sort of thing. So, so the reasons, you know, why, why would this happen? Well, as some of you know, Berto and I have been talking about the incel community, the MGTOW community, the pickup artist community, the red pill community. There, there are all these communities online that claim to be extremely different, even though I find them to be very similar. Like whenever I talk about these sorts of things, there's always some, some YouTube commenter that, you know, this guy thinks incel is the same as MGTOW. He's an idiot. It's just like, um, yeah, there might be some slight differences, but they all share the same philosophy if you, you know, at least look at them from a little bit of distance. Anyway, these communities, even if so, if you don't know, these are communities mainly of men, but there are women in the communities, too, who are there. They've they'll say that they've been rejected by women and they are looking for a community and they're looking for reasons as to why this is happening. And these echo chambers will purport ideas that feminism is the problem, that women know that they can control men through their bodies, that women are purposefully rejecting men and, and playing them like a fiddle and using their sexuality in, as a power struggle against the male gender. And the only way you're going to be able to be happy and not a cuck is to fight back with anger and hate and the manipulation or going your own way, as they say, and MGTOW is, you know, men going their own way, meaning that you're just like, uh, I'm going to go my own way. Now at the, some of this, this, some of the discourse is fine. It's like, I'm having a really hard time dating and I don't know what to do. And I'm looking for a community of people to hang out with and be friends with because I, I don't want to date anymore. No problem with that. If that's Sounds if great. that's it's if that's what you're out, then totally fine. Same for women. If women are like, I'm done with men. I don't want to date anymore. I you know I want to be just become celibate, or I, maybe I'll try you know becoming a lesbian. Let's see what happens. Nothing wrong with that. It, you know, it's a sad result of difficulty in relationships, but there's nothing immoral about it. There is something immoral about these groups, and so. The gamer community and the incel community, there's a there's a pretty big overlap because when you're a guy and you're heterosexual and you're at home a lot and you have a hard time socializing and you have a hard time uh, getting your attachment needs, sexual needs, romantic needs met, then you look for something to do. And one of the things that is readily available from pretty much the day you turn 12 years old is the gaming community. You can play games. There's a whole world you can enter. There's, there's you know, success and achievement and community and support. And so these, these groups kind of bleed into each other. Do, have you experienced that, Berto? Uh, yeah. So I, I've mentioned before that I would spend a lot of time uh, 12 years ago, maybe, uh, in some of these online forums like 4chan and 
uh, NeoGAF and a few other places. Um, I think what started off as like small fringes started infecting like viruses, uh, other larger pools of, of the communities. Um, look, a perfect example of this is this QAnon unbelievableness. <laughs> this started as a post on 4chan like two years ago, three years ago, I don't know. And started insidiously growing like a virus to the point that now there are Congress people that support this and like retired military. Like it's, it's unbelievable. But similarly, so it starts with these little people and they get some no, like micro notoriety within these little posting groups. But then that makes it because what happens is that something like 4chan appeals to folks that are a little on the fringe because there's a cool factor to it to them. They're like, oh, you know, the, the more popular posters on, on these kinds of Reddits or 4chans or things, they are cool people because they can come up with funny sayings or funny memes or, or really clever threads. And as a result, they start looking up to them. And so one of, one of those posters will put something about the, the reality of how women are like ridiculous or inferior or should not play sports or should are terrible gamers or... Or even worse, what starts happening is they'll disguise things that at first might sound like a valid discussion to have, but they'll they'll in, inject all their actual misogyny. So, for example, it might be, uh, you know, they'll use someone like a red herring, like someone that's actually coming out and saying that they hate men and they hate all male gamers or something. Uh, and they'll make it sound like this is abusive towards men and blah, blah, blah. But then they'll go ahead and inject all the actual misogyny into that. Same thing happens with racists, too. They'll, they'll, they'll do something like, look at all the violence in the city streets of Chicago. Shouldn't we be talking about that? But then what they're not saying, what they're implying is like, well, because there's something wrong with those people. It's probably genetic. And we should, like, all these things. Right. And that's what happens. And then it spreads. And then now you got, like, people that are not even in those forums that are playing the games. And they're just casually uh, accepting these realities, casually throwing the N-word left and right as they're playing, casually saying like, oh, are you a girl? You're playing like a girl, like all these things. And it's, it's sad and it's really hard to combat because yeah. you seem uncool. We are uncool by pointing these things out. We are not with it. We're not red-pilled. We are the establishment. We are the this. We are the that. Right. We're cucks. Right. If you want to be accepted, then you have to just go along with it because they have established themselves. When, when, once the fringe becomes the main, you know, there, there are these fringe communities where the fringe idea becomes the mainstream. You yeah. know, if you were just to walk around with the average group of men and start saying cuck and and feminism is the reason why I can't get laid and all these kinds of things. Most men would be like, dude, what? <laughs> like, even, yeah. even among non-enlightened men, they would just say like, wow, like, uh, couldn't it just be that you've just struck out a few times or maybe you're, maybe you're not approaching women in a, in a way that they yeah. want, you know, even unenlightened men will, will look askance at that. But in these, in these little pockets, they, you know, it's a it's a social psychology phenomenon, and uh, the other aspect uh, that I'll sort of put into here is is that, uh, and this has been my my central thesis that I've uh, developed as I've interacted not only with incel MGTOW, red pill, pickup artist people online, but also as clients. I've had some of these men as clients, and 
my this thesis has always panned out, which is that you have guys who, for whatever reason, it's hard for them to to get their romantic needs met. Either they are awkward. Some of them are awkward. Some of them aren't, though. Some of them aren't awkward. Maybe they just had bad luck. Maybe right. they uh, circumstances or, you know, who knows? Just, just something happens where they're 25 and they look back on their romantic life and they just think it's just been, you know, a total train wreck. And they're very hurt and they're very lonely. And they don't know what to do. And through uh, when they were 18, they reached out to the Internet for help. When they were 22, they reached out to their friends. When they were 23, they decided to go online and date. But by the time they're 25 or by the time they're 30, they've done all the things that they can find. And they, they've yet to go to therapy, I'll say. Yeah. But they, they've done all the things, and they've, they've, they've turned over every rock, and they have nowhere to go. And they eventually find themselves in one of these communities, the Incel, MGTOW, et cetera, communities online. And these communities will say things like, it's not your fault. The fact that you have been rejected, it's not because of a lack of social skills. It's not because you don't dress right or that you're uncool. It's because society has been teaching women to uh, control you. It's because feminism has is ruining women's minds. It's because women are basically born narcissistic and self-entitled B words and you know and there's and at first you're like huh well, I don't know but I f- I feel better after absorbing these notions because it releases me from any from the massive amounts of shame that I feel which is another factor here when you know we look at incel Mig- MGTOW and we're like we ridicule them right as a mainstream society we look at those people are just like what's wrong with you. But we are the reason why they went there, because we shamed them to begin with for not getting the girl. We do not accept men in our society who cannot get the girl. James Bond always gets the girl, right? Uh, You know, uh, and ironically, James Bond gets the girl in the ways that confirm the theories from these groups. Uh, Quill in, uh, you know, uh, the Marvel Universe always gets the girl. Iron Man always gets the girl. Uh, these these heroes, they don't struggle. <laughs> they they always get the girl. And if you can't get, you know, the, the, the villains are often the, the guys who can't get the girl, right? These are the, these are the guys who have a heart. You know, Kylo Ren can't get the girl. <laughs> you know, he has troubles. So there's all these... Uh, messages that we give and so we're to blame as a society for shaming these people so that they feel like they need to go to a group like this to get a shred of self-esteem because there's nowhere else for them to turn and these groups absolutely do provide that they give an explanation they say it's not your fault and and they provide a, a community and they give you a way out like if you know if you want to use the pickup artist community here's what you do you neg you neg women and you have a weird necklace that and you you do all these things and and I will say that I've had clients who actually worked with the pickup artist community and their part of their therapy was actually enhanced by the fact that the pickup artist community I had this one guy who the pickup art, artist community actually at a fee would bring him into society and actually make him walk up to women and talk to them through exposure therapy. He eventually just became accustomed to that and his self-esteem blossomed and his social life blossomed. And so 
these communities aren't all toxic, you know what I mean? But they definitely have toxic ideas in them. Um, So the other, go ahead. Oh, sorry. It's similar to, and in fact, there's this weird crossover with like the, the Jordan Peterson followers, because, you know, a lot of what he's doing is he's telling young men, uh, listen, there is a hierarchy in nature. It's embedded in our DNA and you got to understand the hierarchy, but you got to clean your room. You got to get yourself out there, get your life in order. And that's how you're going to, but, but, and so like, if it stopped there, I, okay, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. Get my life in order, all these things, but then hidden in there are all these little packets of, of hidden information that net out to like, and yes, men are in charge and yes, Women should be in this kind of role, not this kind of role. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, essentially you have to be an alpha because if you like all that stuff, it's like uh, just like the, the whole smuggling, uh, the, 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 they coined the thing, smuggling Jesus in debates between atheists. And in this case, they're smuggling the uh, misogyny. <laughs> they're smuggling misogyny in the arguments. Yeah, that's a great um, way of putting it yeah. because it sounds good, right? If you don't have anyone else to influence you, of which there's hardly any positive masculine influences in our society, then you're just like, well, it sounds good. They'll they'll say, you know, what do women always say? Well, they want men to take control. They want men to be confident. They want men to be decisive. Women don't want a wet rag. And, And you can come up with several examples inside. You could just walk up to a woman on the street and say, like, even a feminist, you could walk up to her on the street and say, you know, if she's heterosexual, do you want to be with a husband who is a wet rag and can't make decisions? She'll be like, no, I want him, I want him to be de- decisive. Right. So it, it plays into this toxic masculinity notion of, right. of alpha, meaning that the man is supposed to be in control. But what do we mean by that? Like, uh, so in, in a certain way, in a misogynistic way, it means you need to establish power over the woman. She needs to be less powerful than you. And yeah. you need to be hyper-focused on that. And any hint of, uh, you know, emasculation from her, which could literally just be her complaining about the way you treat her, it has to be put down. You cannot listen to that. You cannot give into that because that is a cuck. And women, they don't want you to be that way anyway. It's a, it's a test to see if you're an alpha or a beta. And I, I find that these communities are obsessed with this notion of alpha and beta. Yeah, which, totally. Which I, I'm just going to say, in my 49 years on this planet, I've never thought about that. I have That's never... because you're an alpha. <laughs> um, Maybe. But, uh, you know, in terms of their definition, I've never thought, you know, at this party, I haven't said many things yet. Oh my God, I'm being, a, I'm being baited by these alphas. Like, I've... I've never thought that. I've never cared. I, what is the difference? Like, it's such a weird, hyper weird focus on something that no one else cares about. Now, to, to, well, fi- to finish my thought yeah. is there is something that is maybe useful, which is, you know, when you walk up to a woman on the street and you say, like, do you want a decisive person? Then she's going to say, yes, I don't want a wishy-washy partner. But no one wants a, wants a wishy-washy partner. A, a man doesn't want a wishy-washy wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, because the uh, another way of looking at that is it doesn't have to do with uh, sexism or misogyny or alpha-beta. It's just 
you want someone when you ask them what do you want for dinner you want them to be in the world and say like huh well what do i want you don't want someone that just is like i don't know what do you want because right. it doesn't feel good to be with someone who doesn't take up space you know at least something you know give me something about who you are how you feel you know, what do you want? And, you know, interface with me somehow. No yeah. one wants someone who doesn't interface with you. So that has nothing to do with alpha beta. That has to do with a sense of self. It has to do with self-esteem. It has to do with effort and motivation. It has to do with um, trying to be in the world and enjoy life. Uh, that's what it has to do with. And that has nothing to do with gender. Anyway. So I, I, I was going to say, look, I think we keep- It'd be bad, bad policy to deny that the world and life works on curves. Meaning, if you go to a party, it is a fact that some individuals of either sex or orientation, all of the above, will be more attractive to more individuals. Just, it's just the way the world works. Yeah. Now, it doesn't, it's a curve, so it's not everyone, it's not 100%, it's not guaranteed, but it is a fact. So what ends up happening is you have observations of nature, but then you try to turn them into infallible final rules for your own personal experience. And I think that's where it falls down because it's like you have no choice in life but to be an alpha. If you're not an alpha, it's the end of your life. And, and so then you go from like, well, sure, yes, some people are more attractive physically. Other people are more smart intellectually. Other people are this. Other people are this. Are you a good artist? You go from that nuance to here are some rules. And this is what happens when you apply geometric infallibility to life. You end up with plastic surgery. And when you're done with the plastic surgery, you look at the person, you're like, oh, man, what have you done to yourself? Well, uh, that took a turn. I, I, I was with you until the plastic surgery bit. <laughs> because, because, you know, if you ask the plastic surgeon, what, what, what's all the stuff you did to this person? They'll give you all the measurements and they'll all mathematically make sense. Oh, look, we, we now made this even. This is now symmetrical. This is like that. But when you look at the result, it looks plastic and artificial and like blah, blah. Similar to um, uh, when you look at m- m- supermodels in, on the runway. Right. Like if you ask, why did you choose these models the way they look? It's like, well, because these are the perfect proportions for modeling my clothing. But it's not going to translate one to one. If you ask everyone in the world, is this then the ultimate ideal of beauty to you? That's not going to translate to everyone. Like, for example, me, I tend to not prefer that look, both males and females. When I look at at models that are the super gaunt, super skinny, super angular, I'm like, well, I guess that must model the clothes nicely. I, it's not my preference. But that's what happens if you, if you try to reduce everything to math- mathematical formulas. And therefore, the way you land a woman is you go in with this many steps, you say the following line with this much volume, and you look at them at this point of the... It, it, that kind of approach to life is not workable. <laughs> and it will depress you, and it will fail ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's trying to... Uh, find a solution to a very complicated problem. And as many of you know, I am doing a series of deep dives on loneliness, and this is actually part of it, that the MGTOW, incel, and part of the toxic culture and gamer world is due to loneliness. And uh, we have a big problem with loneliness, and it's just getting worse. But anyway, so other reasons as to why. So, So I have a whole list of reasons here, and one of them is the is the MGTOW, Intel, Lonely, Hurt, Male community online. 
so that's one influence. You know, if if you're playing a lot of games to the point where you're playing because like for me i play a lot of video games but i'm not in any gamer community because to be in a gamer community i have to uh, make sure i log in at a regular rate i have to make sure that i i ask my friends to log in the same time i log in i have to show up when other people are there because then you know i can get to know these people it's a big commitment yeah and and i just don't have that commitment because i might play a video game like two or three times a week and it's like from 10 p.m. till 10 20 p.m. and then I go to bed you know right. so it, it, it so so if you have the time then in all likelihood you're not doing anything else with your social life and if you're not doing anything else with your social life it's possible that you feel bad about not being able to meet any any you know romantic partners and so the gamer community and the incel MGTOW community are you know uh, attract the same sort of people anyway so the other reason is that psychopaths and predators are in the world. And this is something that as a clinician, I know, but I feel like the general public has a hard time pulling out of abstraction. We all understand, yeah, okay, there's psychopaths in the world, there's sexual predators in the world. I want to really make sure people understand that there are psychopathic, sadistic, and predatory individuals millions upon millions of them all over the world who get off on harming other people in various different ways. They aren't just like mildly problematic with empathy. These people get tremendous pleasure from harming other people and have a, have a drive to do it. That is the same drive you have to have sex or to have a good meal or to play a good video game or to hang out with your friends, they're potentially their only drive or their primary drive or one of their main drives is they wake up in the morning and they think to themselves, how am I going to harm other people? And that's scary, but it's real. And it only takes a small, and these are very rare individuals, but when you have seven and a half billion effing people on the planet, we're talking about right. millions of individuals. Now, how can they get their rocks off? How can they get their pleasure in life? They can't walk down the street because they're going to get punched in the face. They're going to go yeah. to prison. They are going to be ostracized. They're going to be flagged and and documented and posted. And sometimes they end up doing that and they and they have consequences. On the internet, there are no consequences. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's encouraged. Like Berto said, it's normalized to talk crap when you're playing Counter-Strike or you know Halo or whatever it is that you're playing against. It's normalized. It's, it's normal trash talk. If you can't hang, get out, get out of this you know, server. It's, it's, this is not a place for you. So psychopaths and predators are normalized and they look normal in these in these worlds because yeah. not only do they like saying these things but they're actually looking to do it so let me just take a micro example you are a sexual predator who wants to abuse young children sexually well you know that at least some of your time is going to be spent online trying to find someone to abuse you know that those predators are going to at least try to find yeah. someone online. Now, I'm not saying anyone who has an impulse like this is going to do it because many people who have 
pedophilic, uh, you know, feelings. They don't act on it because they know it's morally wrong. But to the psychopaths and to other predators, they don't care. And so you know that they're going to spend at least some of their time online, if not all of their time online, because they're anonymous. There are dark places of the web where you can get anonymity. Uh, If you spend enough time, you can learn actually how to completely obscure who you are and where you're coming from. And, you know, there are tutorials on YouTube about how to absolutely mask who you are so you can just do whatever you want and no one will be able to find you. And so you're going to and then you find innocent 13 year old boys and girls playing Counter-Strike or Halo or Animal Crossing or something. And one, you get a little bit of pleasure just because you're interacting with them. And two, maybe this can even blossom into an actual, you know, thing. And right. the and people have these have ideas about these people, like you would be able to notice them, that they would be creepy, you know. I, I imagine everyone in their mind has an idea of these people as looking like uh worm tongue from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the two towers, you know? Yeah. That greasy black hair, pale white face, hunched over, talking with nefarious notions in their breath. These are not the predators. Predators know the primary thing that they have to focus on is likability. Predators are likable. They are they sometimes are more likable than the average person because they learn the only way I'm going to be able to victimize people is if people don't suspect me. And they spend a lot of time on that. So that's another reason why the gaming world and really all internet corners have a lot of horrible, horrible, aggressive victimizing behavior because of that. Now, is everyone that's doing this sort of thing a psychopathic predator? No, but some of them are undoubtedly. And as someone who is on YouTube, uh, who, you know, psychopaths can comment on YouTube videos just as like, you know, just like anyone else, I have been the target of psychopaths and sadists. I can tell. I'm, I'm like, oh, something's wrong with that person. Uh, that is, uh, you know, why would they go that far? You know, there's to, to take so much pleasure in trying to get underneath someone's skin for, for something just so stupid, you know, anyway, so there's that. The other thing here is that we often have these labels like, oh, you know, that woman has daddy issues. Well, there's a lot of dudes out there with mom issues. <laughs> take it from me. We don't like to identify that because <laughs> we live in a sexist society that likes to hammer on women more than men. A lot of men are walking around with massive mom issues, abandonment, trauma, sexual abuse. And And dad issues, by the way. And dad issues. But mom issues. And when you're a gamer and you have mom issues, then you're going to have a complicated relationship with other women. Another thing is that gamer culture, just over time, since it started out as a young male culture, it's like a locker room in that it, 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 it started out as a as a place where boys can be boys and they don't have to worry about not saying that one joke that they want to say. And even though the gamer culture world is definitely more diverse now, way more diverse and something like, 
you know, of all the gamers in the world, something like 40% identify as women. You know what I right. mean? It's like there's a huge, but it's not just like a small section of gamers. It's like a lot of hmm. young young women and, and older women, for that matter, are, are absolutely massive gamers. Because why wouldn't they be? Because games are fun. You know, like women don't like to have fun. Like, you know, women like to have fun. So there's, as every iteration of diversity enters the gaming world, they have to adapt to the foundation. This is what's wrong in a lot of police departments. Police departments didn't just sprout out of 1989. They sprouted out of 1920. And as every new member enters that locker room, they have to assimilate. And so even though half of the gamer culture or close to half are women, they've all had to silence themselves and you know, put up or even validate what's happening in that locker room to enter that locker room. So that's why, you know, a lot of times what you need to do with these cultures, you have to, if you can, you just need to wipe them off the face of the earth and start over, <laughs> which of course you can't do often, but anyway. Um, and to some extent, that's what the defund, the police, def- the police force is actually somewhat trying to get at. And, and there's a lot of different aspects of it. But one of them is that, is that, We've tried to change, you know, a particular police department through all these measures, you know, re-education programs and nothing has worked. So we just need to get rid of the power structure. We need to get, we need to start over because the power structure is such that every new uh, member has to adapt to this 1940s version of reality that just gets perpetuated through the power structure. You know, those who uphold the 1940s power structure move up in the ranks and those who don't get fired or they quit and so you know military organizations have this as well and so the gamer culture has this as well you know what i mean a similar problem is in nursing which was a female dominated group and when a when men try to enter the nursing culture then it can be hard in a, in a similar way you know anyway um another just rattle off my list here real quick is that there is validation culturally. I've already gone over that. Um, there's lack of awareness outside the gaming culture world. There, you know, the broader society doesn't know what's happening in the gamer culture world, and so there's no outcry. You know, like as a woman, what do you do? Who do you turn to? You know, that people they might come out of the game. You know, you come out of the gamer world. You're like, I've been sexually harassed all day long. People outside the gaming world would be like, huh? Well, I don't Well, just don't just don't participate. You know, just don't do it. Why do you go there? It's like, but I like playing games and I like interacting with other gamers. Anyway, the other reason is that we're just living a generally sexist and misogynistic society. And that's just like that's just any any part of our society is going to have misogyny and sexism because it's in a misogynistic sexist society. The other uh, problem here is that systems of power are looking the other way or even supporting it. You know, there are, and Berto, tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, Microsoft, Xbox, PlayStation, Blizzard, these places are making literally like billions, billions. of dollars. And their customers are in this culture. Yeah. And the... A larger society, the people have, you know, the, with the money, aren't necessarily incentivized to speak out against this because they could lose 
they could basically go out of Blizzard could go out of business if they did if they decided to come out strong against misogyny online, right? Yeah, it depends what they did, but certainly they would stand to lose a lot of money and, and audience if uh, if they took too strong of a stance in one direction. And the problem is that the executives in a lot of these uh, groups and, and companies uh, come from this old world. For, for example, just last week or two weeks ago or whatever, a ton of Ubisoft executives were let go because of accusations of uh, you know sexual harassment and abuse and things like that. <clears throat> these were like top executives, top creative directors, all these th- types of things. In 2020, it's 2020, people. So remind people what Ubisoft makes. Oh, it's a, it's another one of the big gaming companies. They make games like Assassin's Creed and things like that. Yeah, another problem is lack of response from the legal system. If you are being harassed and groomed online, where do you go? <laughs> you know, one, the groomer and the predator could live in Russia, so... Uh, what recourse do you have? Uh, is there a, you know, you call 911. So if you're walking in a park and some predator comes up to your 13-year-old daughter and tries to have sex with her, you call 911. The cops are there. The cops go, is that the guy who did it? Yeah, that's the right. guy who did it. Okay, bring him in for questioning. There's a system. It's it's not particularly, you know, streamlined and it's not without its problems for sure. But let's say you're being groomed by someone from another country and or you don't know where they live, you're going to call nine one one. What do you do? Uh, you call nine one one. My my daughter is being groomed by someone while they're playing Counter Strike. Right. Uh, well, what's their name? I don't know. Well, what's their username? Oh, it's uh, you know, it's uh, Hacksaw XXX twenty one sixty nine. Yeah, that that's and then okay, I'll write that down. Um, if the that's police, my that's my username by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if the police hacksaw, you said? Yeah. Hacksaw. Hacksaw. XXX <laughs> twenty one sixty nine. Oh my god. There is a some douchebag in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is a pretty sleepy neighborhood. You know, it's you've been in my neighborhood. It's pretty yeah. it's like your neighborhood. It's suburban, it's quiet, you know, it's it's not right. It's not very edgy. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. There's this guy down the hill from me who has a truck that has uh, something like the the Dig Bick Club. It's like <laughs> bi- a big sticker. And then another big thing that says 69 on it. And then another thing that, oh, and then he, I just know it's a dude, you know. Instead of painting his truck, he used what looks to be a Sharpie to, like, accentuate certain parts of the grill. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, you, you know, your, your username just reminded me of that. Um, but anyway, so even if the police took it seriously, what are they going to do? Okay, they call Counter-Strike. There's this guy, Hacksaw-XX69. Uh, you know, Counter-Strike's going to be like, well... You know, here's their info. Here's even if Counter Strike, uh, uh, you know, complies, they're going to say, "Well, here's what we know about them." Oh, you know that, you know, they're this is their email address, and they're yeah. using Bitcoin, which we yeah. can't trace. So we don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, and, 
Uh, now, there is a way you can actually tr- track, you know, I bet you Anonymous would be able to track down who this person was. You know, it's not like it's impossible to track some of these people down, right? Or you could have regulations on, on Counter-Strike that makes it so that, and maybe Counter-Strike does. I'm picking on Counter-Strike. I have no idea what the, what the policies are. But you could actually require that Counter-Strike, if they operate with the United States, that the users have... Uh, registered their ID somehow or, you know, that they actually identify who they are and where they're from so that you can actually prosecute criminal activity that's actually happening on your game. But most places don't do this. Why? Because the gamer, you know, gamers don't want that necessarily. And two, uh, society doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) One, they don't care about women in general. Two, they don't care about children. Three, they don't care about victims. And four, they don't care about the gamer community. You know, it's just like, so if you're a predator, where do you go? Well, you go where society isn't looking. You go where society doesn't care. And you go where the victims are plenty. And, and that's what's happening. And, and if you're a woman, a young woman uh, in the gamer community, God help you. God help you. True. Final word, Berto. Well, if you are playing online, uh, be safe. Make sure that you are not giving your information out to strangers, uh, your personal information. Uh, be mindful. Protect yourself psychologically and, and otherwise. Uh, but if you are a guy and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling like you're not uh, getting dates or whatever, uh, it's, it's, and it's not just because of COVID, <laughs> um, you know, maybe don't just go to the to the final straw, you know, like, oh, it's all over. I need to hate women, all these things. Um, try a few more avenues first. Uh, we talked about these a lot before. Things like uh, get out, find interests, find hobbies, find people through those hobbies. That's one of the best things to do. Because uh, once you have common interests with people, all of a sudden you have a lot more foundational base to build upon. Uh, Of course, that can be tough during COVID. So that's why you should try to do it online, but do it in an online healthy way instead of online toxic way. All right. And my final word is if you see bad behavior online, speak up against it. Do not sit back uh, and allow that to happen in the same way that you wouldn't allow someone to sexually harass a girl sitting next to you on the bus. If you're sitting on the bus and some predator walks up to a 13-year-old girl sitting next to you on the bus, I would hope you would do something. You would also stick up for people online, particularly if you have power, if you're a male, if you have connections in that corner of the internet, do something. You want to make a difference in the world? Do something. Don't sit there. Stand up. You know, solidarity. If we as a population can all agree that we are not going to allow predators and psychopaths and sadists and mean people and misogyny proliferate, we have to stand up. We can't just complain about it. We can't just, you know, judge silently. You have to judge and shame vocally. So protect victims. And if you have been victimized, get support. Uh, protect yourself, uh, notify power players, uh, you know, reach out to gamers. You know, there are, there are charismatic gamers who will absolutely uh, 
uh, stick up for you. There are people who you can turn to who are in the gaming community. Uh, I don't know, you know, the PewDiePie's of a particular corner of the gaming com- community. <laughs> I don't know if PewDiePie is a, is a good example, but who can... What, what's that guy, H3B3, or what's that kid's name? Kid's name, he's probably our age, but the guy on YouTube... Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? I think I do, but I don't. I don't. Yeah. Know. Anyway, that I guy. <laughs> I'm not in the gamer community, so I mean, Clearly. do you know of anyone in the gamer community that would actually like stick up for uh, victims on in the gaming community? I would think PewDiePie would. Okay. Yeah. So, but he probably wouldn't respond to you because he's too big. So you know, j- right. just find someone. You do something. You know, uh, if you can. And obviously call the police, because if crimes are happening, then, I don't know, make a report. Maybe something can be done. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself, because you deserve it.